Welcome to this week's episode of Handcut Radio. I'm Alex Fetkovich, a menswear writer and content consultant, and I'm joined this week by Benjamin Glyn Phillips. Ben is the assistant manager at Drake's Clifford Street Store in London, and he's become a much-loved ambassador for the Drake's look. He's also a warm-hearted, straightforward breath of fresh air in British menswear, hence why I was so keen to chat to him. We explore his former life as the owner of a tattoo shop, his route into the menswear industry, and how taking up Brazilian jiu-jitsu changed his life. I really enjoyed this one, and I hope you will too. Mr. Phillips. Hello. Here we are. It is great to have you on the pod. Thank you very much. Um, Nice to be here. I'm glad. I've been really, really looking forward to this. Um, And I have been looking forward to this because generally I don't want Handcut Radio to be a sort of Tell Me Your Story podcast. Yeah. It is a podcast that we're we're trying to, to kind of address different issues and pick apart different ideas. But... You, my friend, are the exception to the rule because um, I am just fascinated by your own story and your route into menswear. Okay. Um, I think it is, it is not a, a typical uh, middle-class background into menswear like, like some might, might say mine was, for example. Yeah, a little, little bit of a different route. You are not a fashion lovey like me. <laughs> um, so, uh, You're my favourite fashion lovey. Oh, bless you. <laughs> so I, 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 I want to just unpick why menswear is a passion for you, how you got to this point, what makes you tick, really. Yeah, of course. Um, so the question is, where do we start? Do we start at the beginning? Were, clo- were clothes your first love or did something come before? Yeah. No, I was always into clothes. Right. From a very, very young age. Cool. Um, I was all, like, I remember always wanting, like, the pair of trainers that no one else had. I really, like, at a really young age, like five or six. Yeah. I didn't want the same shoes that everyone else in my that, that class young, had. You were, yeah. you were devering. Yeah, I was re- really into it. And then, you know, my other great love is is music. And obviously the fashions of the bands that I was listening to and the groups I was listening to really affected me as well. Yeah. You know, as, as like a huge, huge influence. So hang on. How does this, how do we piece those two things together though? Did you, so you remember having a, an interest in clothes at a very young age. When, when does the music come in and te, what genres probably, are we talking? Probably like the, the music was always there. I can always remember loving music, mm-hmm. you know, from a really... From like a really early age, I can remember being like three or four years old and having a, a tape with Adam and, Adam and the Ants on it. Cool. And being like totally blown away by like the Prince Charming video and the theatricalness of it all. Totally loved all that as like a really, really young kid. Yeah. Um, then like later on, kind of like, you know, early teens, pre-teens, um, I remember a, a friend of mine from down the road Came around my house with two tapes. One was Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. And he put it on and it just blew my mind. I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Wicked. And then the second tape he put on was NWA Straight Out of Compton, which equally blew my mind. Yeah. Um, so like, I was always, through, through that, I just got into like, kind of like rock music and, and hip hop. But, where kind of Guns N' Roses led, like the other, if you like, for lack of a better word, hair metal bands of the time, I just wasn't into, wasn't, didn't have that little bit of punk rock in it. 
Yeah. You know, and I know yeah. some people would criticize me for saying that about this mega stadium band, but to me, especially early Guns N' Roses, it had a little bit of punk rock swagger to it, and that's what separated them from from that's, everyone that's else what you for me. With. Yeah. And and through that I kind of went more into like that discovering those kind of bands, you know, like things like the Misfits and eventually like Black Flag cool. that became like the biggest influence for me in my life. So is it is um, it fair to say then that the interest in music kind of interesting this is something that that has popped up or is going to pop up on other episodes in the series yeah. that that kind of connecting with different musical subcultures then started to inform your with, your taste with, without a shadow of a doubt. Like if it wasn't for Nick Cave I probably wouldn't be as into tailoring as I am. That's cool. Yeah. There's um this is like a little later, but there's a, a video he did for a song called 15 Feet of Pure White Snow. Mm. And it's him and the Bad Seeds playing in like a village hall with a bunch of celebrities dancing. So like Jason Donovan is in the video and like a bunch of other people just dancing in this village hall. And Nick Cave just is in this suit, a suit that I could never pull off. <laughs> Ever in my life, <laughs> yeah, you know, like a flared trouser. He's got that sort of wiry. wiry look. Yeah, yeah, wiry is something I will never be. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just saw that and like loved it. Right. But then I've always found an interest in the way that gangsters dress. Uh, now we're going to chat about this, my friend. Yeah. So that for, oh. for my personal style. You know, a lot of this is general stuff. Being young, getting into like punk rock, getting into like rock music, hip hop. Obviously, all of that was like a huge influence on me. Mm-hmm. But when we come to what we're here, it's all about really like tailoring and, and, and classic menswear. For me, I've always looked to, shall we say, the more shadier. The shadier side of the side. I've, yeah. I've always, you know, kind of appreciated that style. Not ever wanting to glorify what those people did. No. Or who they are. I'm... Mm. I'm you know, I'm I'm not into any of that side of the business, but just on how they looked. It, it it's so interesting that you say that because again, we must be very careful not to, you know, uh, not to glamorize these things as you say. Yeah. And there is this eternal question in menswear as to whether we should hold up the Duke of Windsor, for example, as a style icon, or condemn him to the pages of history because of uh, some of his political associations during the Second World War. So things like that are pertinent. But I too, as a kid growing up, was super into the idea of a suit being a power suit. Yeah. And the, 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 it was inevitably with gangsters that, that, that you kind of look back to the 20s and the 30s and the history of the suit that's where it begins. Yeah. And and for me, it's like seeing those early photos of like the Cray twins mm-hmm. and just thinking, I want to look like that. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to yeah. do anything they did. I don't want to think like them, no. but I like no. the clothes. I, I like people. I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm an honest man. I don't want to steal from anyone, yeah. you know, um, but so that, that, just, just the imagery that they just looked amazing. And there's, um, I've been talking to so many people about this. There's this amazing photo that the Rake posted ages ago mm. of Lucky Luciano yeah. and his guys walking through the streets of Sicily. And like that photo, I'm just looking at it, and, and it was something I only realized recently. Like that is everything about my style. Of is how that I, the, you posted that the other day? Yeah, that right. is literally just everything about it is how <laughs> I wear a suit high waisted trouser, loose in the leg. Neapolitan style jacket, big lapels. Yeah, one button done up or, or open, 
And I was, it, it was like this little eureka moment when you suddenly realise that everything I look for in a suit is actually there. this photo. So, so how do we get from five-year-old wanting different trainers to everyone else yeah. to that point in your kind of style history? Well, I, I think it's like um, an evolution, really. Obviously, like, like I said, like punk rock, hip-hop, skateboarding, hardcore were all like massive influences on me. Mm. Um, I think especially like within the hardcore music scene, what you wore was a little bit more important than say, you know, my, my, my big problem, like I love a lot of heavy metal bands. I just never wanted to look like a metaler. Yeah. Whereas like within the whole kind of hardcore scene, there was a lot more style. So, you know, through that and through skateboarding, you know, skateboarding was always very style-led. I was a terrible skateboarder, but I loved the clothes. Cool. And through that, it, it's just like the next thing. Through that, I kind of got into stuff like Bathing Ape when it first started out, when it was really, like, preppy. Mm-hmm. Really, really into it. Uh, very early Supreme. Yeah. I was really, really into. Um, and I met a chap called Kehimi who has um, a label called Atlast and Butcher Products in Japan. And he, through some him, a couple of other friends, uh, Thomas Hooper, Dante DeMassa, uh, they really introduced me to like a lot of tailor, a lot of um, kind of more work wary kind of style. Uh, got very much into that. And that was also a great thing, being a big guy. You know, it's like suddenly yeah, you, can... you can get the sizes, you can get stuff you like. You know, it's not easy being a big man and liking clothes. No, always. it's not. It's a pain. You know? <laughs> but when you're into like Carhartt or Ben Davis, you know, and even like some of the, the Japanese brands, you know, like Samurai and like K stuff at last, they make bigger size size pieces. So suddenly you can like get all this stuff that you want and get a look, as it were. Yeah, yeah. and and I was very, you know, still still love that style. I don't wear it as much anymore, but I'm still a big fan of it. Mm. You know, my uh, my wife was very happy recently that I got rid of all my free and easies and uh, <laughs> all my old Japanese denim magazines because they were taking up too much room. So, right. uh, but t- I was heavily into that, and you know, through that, like I said, through things like seeing Nick Cave, things like that, I, I'd somewhat always wanted for a long time. I've wanted to wear tailoring more, but I'd never really got the opportunity to do so. Um, until kind of moving back up to London and, and working for Drake's. Right. But you, you again, as you've just alluded to, you did not begin your, your kind of career in menswear until relatively recently. Yeah. Uh, back home in Swansea, yes. you had a tattoo parlour. I did. I, uh, I was a co-owner of a tattoo shop called Swansea Tattoo Company. Cool. Yeah. Now, where, how... The love of tattooing, then, is yes. is another fascinating thing to me, another love of yours. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's something that, that's been a big part of my life. Cool. Yes. Was, was that the kind of first love immediately out of school? What, how, um, did, how did that no, come about? No, I've... Again, it comes back to being... I remember being really, really young. Again, we're going back to, like, three, four years old, yeah. something along those lines. And I think, I'm not sure if it was like one of the Queen's Jubilees or something along those lines. There was a procession through Swansea and it was led by bikers. So the first thing I saw was all these gnarly looking guys on their Harleys driving through town. And I can just remember like being really young and going, I want to look like that. That's, that's it. I want a motorbike. 
I want to look like these guys. My other brother had a much smaller motorbike, you know, so I already thought motorbikes were really cool. But I saw these guys and they were in their cutoffs and like they had all these tattoos. And I was just like, I want to look like that. But the only thing that really stuck with that in growing older was, yeah, I want to get heavily tattooed. But I didn't, um, I didn't start till I was about 23, 24. I had to wait for my dad to die. Right. Because <laughs> it wouldn't have been worth the argument. So, uh, <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then you kind of were able to get into that love. Yeah. And, um, you know, through some friends of mine, um, someone I'm sure everyone knows, like Tony Sylvester. Yeah. He, who is also on. Uh, yeah. He also, like, he introduced me to a bunch of amazing tattooers, some of whom, you know, like, I owe, I owe it goes without saying, I owe a lot to Tony. Um, and he, he introduced me to someone who's become one of my closest friends, uh, Thomas Hooper, who at that time was just starting to get a name for himself in that industry. Like now he's, he's considered as one of the best guys in the world. He's amazing. His, his talent is, is unbelievable, but he was on the app. He introduced me to a lot of people. Um, you know, I started working in that industry, um, I worked uh, for a chap called Dante Damasa selling tattoo machines. Later on, went to set up my own company selling tattoo machines and supplies. Used to travel around Europe. Um, and then eventually, my uh, friend Lee Hadfield said to me, look, do you want to open up a tattoo shop with me? And about two days later, we'd signed a lease. Wicked. <laughs> Literally like, do you want to do this? And I was like, yep. And we did it. I, the, what I'm loving, and I'm already picking up in this story, is there there is, a, I guess, a, a real uh, sense of, of kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Impulse is not the right word, but of certainty about your personality. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really lucky because I've, I've worked in a few industries. Um, I've worked in the music industry. I, I've worked in tattooing. I've worked in menswear. Uh, I, am, I have no musical talent whatsoever yet i've been able to go on tour a bunch of times release records play in hardcore bands um tour manage bands put on live shows i i've been able to be in that industry that i love i have no artistic talent whatsoever but i got to work in tattooing and, and i was embraced by that community and by some of the i'm lucky enough to some of the greatest artists in that field are very very close friends um, you know, I've got to meet some amazing people, have some amazing friendships and some great times. And, you know, I don't think I could be a great designer. I'll be really honest with you. You know, I, I, I couldn't do what I see so many really, you know, talented guys and like really talented tailors. And, but I'm lucky enough to be able to work in this industry and have like a little bit of uh, knowledge and a little bit of a way of expressing how I feel about some of these items that um, that seem to get me by okay. Well, that is uh, that is an absolutely charming yeah. thing to hear. Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing is, though, I've always worked with my passions. Right. Which that, now, that's what I was going to come on to, is, yeah. is the sense of passion is palpable. Yes. Um, and I, I, I love the fact that you can kind of identify age four, I'm going to dress like a biker. I've, I've hit that, I've found that, that's now on. Yeah. Um, Let's let's pick up on the kind of menswear passion then. Yeah. So you 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 kind of have this extraordinary, quite eclectic career following various different passions. Yeah. And at some point on this journey, menswear emerges. So tell me about that. Well, 
when um, I, I was, we were coming to a, a point where my my wife had been with me in Wales for for about six years. Um, she wanted to move back to to London. My wife's from Harlow in Essex originally. Um, she wanted to move back. She wasn't particularly happy in Wales, and I had somewhat lost a little bit of my love for the the tattoo world. Okay. Um, you know, that's an industry that's changed a great deal over the last sort of 10 years. And I just kind of thought, right, we're moving to London. I'm done with this that I've been doing for however long, you know, everything I'd been doing had been working up to this, owning a tattoo shop. And you'd done it. Done it. Didn't perhaps bring the happiness that I thought it would. Why? Do, um, do you mind me asking why not? Um, I don't know. It was... It was a lot more hard work <laughs> than, I, than, than I thought it was. Um, it was it was quite stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you've got a lot of people, a lot of personalities, and you know, artists like all really talented um, artists, and it just it it just ended up almost feeling a bit too much like a job, right. When yeah, yeah, when it's supposed to be a passion. Yeah, interesting. And, and as I said, I I had somewhat lost my my passion for the industry as a whole. Um, yeah, it's just just a weird thing. It just like it felt like it was time to to move on. Fine. So um, we actually had the the lease coming to an end on the shop, and I'd sort of spoken to my business partner, and we were talking about what we were going to do. I went and spoke to my wife and between us, between everything, I just, you know, with my wife, we decided that we wanted to be in London and, um, yeah, we sort of did, did that. My business partner bought me out, carried on shop still there. Cool. Still doing well from, uh, from what I know. And, uh, yeah, it's just, just, just like the, you know, it's a close of a chapter and then it was like, right, what am I going to do now? Just, just before we move into menswear, just because I'm, I'm really interested to learn a bit more about this. What, what, what was, what was it about um, tattooing that, that you was? Why did it become a passion? Is what I'm trying to ask. Why, what was the sense of enjoyment that you got from it initially? I didn't enjoy any of it. It really hurts. Oh, right. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm, you know, it's, it's like anyone who says it doesn't is just either wrong in the head or lying. Right. Uh, I hated actually getting tattooed. I loved having the tattoo. Fine. I, lo- I you know, I, I love everything I, I have. Um, but a lot of it was based on friendship. That's cool. A lot of the tattoos I've got, in fact, the majority are from people who are friends. And I was lucky enough to be friends with some amazing tattooers. Mm. So, I, you know, I don't really have any tattoos I really regret because they're all done to like a really high standard. And, and there's, you know, it's the same thing with tailoring. Yeah. You know, you can go to Marks and Spencer's and buy a suit. You can come into Drake's and buy a suit. Yeah. They're both suits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there are going to be differences. But there are going to be differences. And it's the same thing in the tattoo world. You know, you can go to someone who can do you a tattoo, but then you can go to someone who is an artist and who really knows what they're doing. And... You know, we're, we're lucky in London that there's so many of them. Mm. And that, of course, is a philosophy that you apply to your menswear today. Yes. And that Drake's applies to its menswear. Yes. So let's, let's continue this thread. You moved to London. I did, yes. And you ended up working at Drake's. 
but there was a, a transitionary there was, period. There was like a transitionary period. I had a bit of time off. I took a couple of months. Cool. Uh, went to Italy, went to Lake Como for a bit and... Chilled out. Chilled out for a little while, took a bit of time. Um, I really wanted to work for Drake's because I'm a huge, huge fan was was that an ambition that you came to London with? It, it was. It was. I don't know if it, an ambition is the right word. In my head, it felt right. Cool. I know that sounds stupid. I was just. It was almost like uh, I need to make this. I don't know why. I know it sounds ridiculous, but in my head, I needed to make that happen. And I was applying for other stuff as well, but I didn't want it. I in my head, I was like, this is. I, I just felt like this is where I need to be. What was it about the brand that, oh, man, that, always, that produced that response? I've always loved it. Like, I got married in a Drake's shirt, pocket square and tie. Um, I've always, always really been into it. You know, it just, for me, it has, I don't know if there's like a, a more of a kind of creative element to it. I mm. don't know if it's like the connection with art what you know, and and this is just my personal thought. This is, of course, is is like no way, shape, or form the like the views of the company. But but to me, there's just like a funness and a creativeness to it that's really really interesting. It's it's one of the things that I love about the brand, um, and it is one of my favourite British brands. Is there is I talk about Drake's having an expressiveness about it, yeah, and it's even down to a shirt collar. Um, you know the the way that the, a point collar pops and and curves and moves the, on the neck with a yeah. tie or yeah and like the the long point collar to me is just the best. It's everyone loves it now, don't it's they? It's fantastic. If li- listeners, if you have yet to try the Drake's point collar, you must. It is it's superb. Um, it is not in any way a scary collar. A point <laughs> collar sounds scary, but it's not. It's a lovely thing to wear. It's really really great. Um, I, I wear one most days. There we go. Yeah. Um, okay, so you always wanted to work there. Yeah, it, it just, you know, when, when I thought, right, what am I going to do with my life? I thought, what do I know about? Mm. I was like, well, I know about music. But let's be honest, it's very hard to make money in music these days. You know, and money isn't everything, but you need to make a living. Yeah. I was like, I know a bit about tattooing, but I've kind of done that, closed that chapter. Um, I do uh, a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, yeah. but I'm by no means good enough to make a living from it or to make any money out of it. So I was like, what else do I know about? Well, I know about clothing. You know, I had worked in, um, in menswear some time before. Um, I'd kind of worked in like a lot of vintage shops and things like that. Um, worked in a, a vintage store in Hobos for on and off for, for many years. Cool. Uh, sorry, a vintage shop called Hobos in Swansea. Yeah. Um, I worked at Duffer St. George for a little while back in uh, my first stint in London that lasted about six months <laughs> <laughs> before I went back to the valleys with my tail between my legs. <laughs> Learning experience, though. Yeah, definitely. But, but I, I'm, I want to know how you made it happen, though. How did you get to Drake's? How did it happen? Um, so I, I applied for a job. Um, I got interviewed, I got through to the, I think the last couple of people, but eventually the job went to somebody who had a bit more tailoring experience than myself. Right. I kept in touch, um, you know, with, with, uh, Chris, who's like our sales director. And I, you know, I just messaged him and I was just like, Hey man, I, I, I really want this. I was like, you know, can you give me any tips on things I can improve on? And we, we just had like a dialogue between ourselves, like, you know, he was like really nice and gave a lot of his time to me. 
Um, and then a, a friend of mine, Ethan, uh, who I'm sure we're all uh, familiar with. Yes, precisely. The, um, the lovely uh, Mr. Newton has come up on the, this podcast a couple of times. Yes. So uh, I was chatting to him uh, about it and he said, you need to meet Mike. He said, let me drop Mike an email. The two and, of you have got to meet. And this is Michael Hill, Michael. the creative director of Drake's. Yes. So um, I think Ethan emailed Mike and said, look, my friend Ben's moving to London. I really feel the two of you should meet. And uh, I met up with Mike and, you know, I feel we, we got on really well. Like he, he's just someone I really respect a huge amount. Um you know, being someone who's predominantly been self-employed most of his life, I couldn't ask for, like, nicer people to work for. And I feel we have a lot of the same values. Um, I know within the company, Drake's do a lot of things that are not based on finance. Yeah. Drake's do a lot of things because making a good product is what's most important. Yeah. And everything else is secondary. And I really respect that. And I really, in any business I've done in the past, I've always tried to do the same. Like, never make money your main goal. Make doing something good your main goal. Mm. And then the money will come. That's always been my philosophy. And I feel, you know, that Mike and Drake's do things very much the same way. I think I, I absolutely agree. And I think most most people listening with, a, with an, a, at least an awareness of Drake's would, would concur with that. Yeah. The, the quality of the clothes is, is palpable. Yeah. And actually stepping into your realm, which is, of course, uh, the Clifford Street shop. Yes. Uh, it's just such an appealing place to be. It's great. And every time I go in... I, I have actually stopped going in because I always spend bloody money. <laughs> and just it's impossible to walk out of there empty handed. It's great. People like that are what we need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. More more of Alex's, please. Yeah. Um, it, it's it, it makes our job quite easy because you don't have to be a pushy sales assistant. Like I don't have to give anyone a hard sell. I have to get you a size. I have to maybe explain to you why it is this way. You know, there's no, like, sell, sell, sell. Mm. It's like, you know, ex explain the, the garments to people, explain why they're good, you know, explain the quality, get them in it, you know. And, and if somebody put, if I put something on and somebody goes, oh, this isn't for me, it's not for them. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no, like, forced, there's no hard sell. It's just, you know, Try this trying on. to help people. We think you'll like it. Yeah, it's just trying to help people. Oh, it's lovely. Um, I'm going to change tack a little bit okay. while we, as we as we wend our way through uh, this this podcast. Um, your other love, which you've touched on, is is jujitsu. Brazilian jujitsu. Brazilian jujitsu. Forgi forgive me. Yes. Brazilian. Don't hit me. <laughs> Brazilian. There's, there's, there's no punching. <laughs> That's why I like it. Um, and again, it fascinates me because you know I just love the fact that you can go from. Hardcore to tattooing to classic menswear to jiu-jitsu. Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu. Yes. Sorry, sorry. Um, where does that love come from? Um, so, you know, I, I, I grew up in a small town in South Wales and people like to fight there. Yeah. And there's, you know, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm really not, the biggest fan of uh, of random violence. No, of course not. But within the confines of a ring or a cage, it's an art. Yes. 
and there's no I think the biggest difference behind it is like there's no malice you know like if I'm competing against someone I don't want to hurt them I don't want to you know send them you know home broken and you're not doing it with anger no for a place of anger I'm literally playing chess but on a different scale yeah with with someone and my only aim is is to win and Brazilian jiu-jitsu has has been like the most positive thing I've ever taken up in my life well that was something that's something you've said to me before that yeah. I wanted to ask about actually yeah. why why was that um I'm I'm not a very educated man uh I I really struggled in school I was diagnosed with dyslexia at an age where people didn't even really know what dyslexia was. Yeah. I was somewhat lucky to be diagnosed because the special needs teacher in my school, her husband was the guy going around testing people when they first found out about it. So she picked it up and got him to come in and test and test me. But like, I think now there's more help yeah. and things, but like back then it was almost like you just had an excuse to be stupid. And I left education feeling like I was incapable of learning. And I didn't learn to drive. I didn't learn to get that motorbike. I didn't feel I had the capability to do it. Um, it definitely hindered me getting by. I was lucky that through some other passions, I was able to make a living because of my, my love of music and things like that. I was able to like run nightclubs and go on tour with bands and, and, you know, make a living for myself. Um, but I was always very scared of learning. Um, my spelling is still atrocious, but, you know, my, my reading luckily got a bit better with, uh, uh, when I was about 14, I found a newfound sort of love of Spider-Man comics. Brill. And for some reason, seeing the image with the words helped me read. And my mum was so happy I was reading anything, bless her, that she just would buy them for me every day. She was like, sit, read, read. And like now I try to read as much as I can because I've got, you know, when, it's, when I was like 14, I had the reading age of a six-year-old. So and it's like I still always feel like I've got this lost time to, to kind of catch up on. But I still always had this feeling of like I can't learn anything. I felt like there was something in my brain that just didn't work when it came to learning. And then a very uh, dear friend of mine, uh, Rob, uh, Rob T, who is an exceptional teacher himself now, he said to me, look, I've been going to this. I know you're going to love it. The other side of it is, is I am at this point horrendously overweight. Like I'm a big guy now, but I was morbidly, morbidly obese. Uh, I was like the best part of 29 stone. Really? Yeah, I, um, I was living, a, I was running, a, um, sort of working in a lot of nightclubs, leading a very unhealthy lifestyle. And um, I started, I'd started doing like a little bit more training and trying to get myself in some better shape. And then for the first time, I found this kind of form of exercise that I loved. And I started doing it regularly. And about, I think it was about a month or so in, I'm sparring with someone and I apply a choke to them and I choke that person unconscious, which is, you know, it's like something you do within that sport. We have a thing where if you feel like somebody applies an arm lock or a choke and you feel like you're going to pass out, you tap and that person lets go. This particular person didn't want to tap. 
and I ended up choking him unconscious. I, you know, he was fine. You Good, know, it's yeah. not not like you know. Yeah, yeah. It's not something that's going to hurt anyone. But I had a eureka moment, which was like, oh my god, I've just learned something. Literally, like this light bulb went off. It, and it's like, like a skill and I was part like, of a martial I've, art. Yeah, it was like I've just learned to do something that I couldn't do four weeks ago, and if I can do that, I can learn anything. So that night, I went home and booked driving lessons. I went straight from the class as soon as I got in, booked driving lessons, learned to drive, you know, through that, you know, it's just like one of those it things. It was just a complete pace change. Yeah, a bit of confidence. I actually went back and did my GCSE English uh, year before last. Yes, which um, you told me about before and I thought was the most fantastic achievement. Yeah. Um, I also loved the story that you shared with me previously of one of your classmates <laughs> who who was who was uh, a little bit disruptive for a time? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Is that is that something you want to share, or shall we move on? Um, <laughs> a, a young gentleman was being very disruptive in class. During our break, I took him to one side and I told him it would be in his best interest to not be so disruptive. <laughs> and he wasn't disruptive anymore. There we go. <laughs> Jolly good. That's the um, edited story. Yeah, no, that's good. But I, again, I think. Um, but I think he got a better grade for it as well. Yeah, it was, it was a good thing. <laughs> yeah. A good thing all round. I am um, just hearing hearing that last sort of fifteen minutes. Ben is so incredibly heartwarming, um, and I I was going to say to you, you know, just just listening to you, it is abundantly clear that you have learned so much and done so much that's fascinating um i've I've been lucky but more lucky with the people i've met and the people who've been like kind enough to take a chance on on working with me on various various projects including drake's you know i'm 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 a big guy with tattooed hands you know i'm i'm I, i don't look like your stereotypical uh, Drake's model, perhaps that they kind of use in in the um, the lookbooks or anything. That that stuff still looks great. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it looks yeah. great. Like you know, as, as cheesy as it is, it kind of looks great, great on anyone. But it's still for for Mike and Chris and Lucas to take the chance of like, hey, we we like this guy. We're going to give him a chance to work in the shop. I'm thankful for that every day. You know, I'm thankful to Tony every day for, you know, Tony's like my my best friend. You know, he was best man at my wedding. I was best man at his. But like he is just like a constant support and advice and, you know, and and to people like yourself who, since I've moved to London, have just welcomed me like a friend. You know, it means a lot to me. Well, that's, um, again, super, super lovely. Um and, and, and refreshingly honest and delightfully honest to hear. Um, so thanks for that, Ben. Now, a couple of questions as we start to, to, to round off a little bit. Yeah. Um, your, your style is an inspiration to a lot of larger guys, right? How, what, what would you say to a larger gentleman who's afraid of getting into clothes or trying new things? Just buy you the right size, please. <laughs> please don't buy something tight. it's it's my biggest frustration that I personally have when bigger guys come in and I'm helping them dress and they want to wear a smaller size because they feel wearing a smaller size will make them smaller won't makes you bigger yeah you know buy something 
that's comfortable, do not buy tight trousers. Just, you'll end up looking like a baby sham glass. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Just get a wide, a, a wider leg. Bigger men, we need room at our thighs. And I, I you know, saying you're a bigger man, like there's bigger guys who are big for different reasons in different shapes. My my excess weight, which I'm trying very hard to get rid of at the gym at the moment, it, it's um, kind of like my the bottom of my belly is where I hold most of my weight. So I want a clean trouser. So I wear a very loose, high-waisted trouser with braces because it gives me that straighter silhouette. I wear relatively loose trousers all the way through the leg because, again, it gives me that straight silhouette. It's not going sort of straight up in an almost V-shape to what I consider my worst part that I want to hide. Yeah, and it flatters. Yes. And it's, you know, it's the same thing with jackets. It's like I like to wear a very, very comfortable jacket. I don't want a t- jacket that's tight. No. Yeah. Well, I think, again, that's, that's just good advice for everyone, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. Understand yeah. what's going to flatter your silhouette. Yeah. Silhouette is so important yeah. in tailored menswear. And, and, but I think for everybody, forget about what size it says on it. Yeah. Because I have people of all shapes and sizes who I'm like, oh, you need a 42. And they're like, no, I'm, I've never been a 42. I, I'll, I will not be a 42. I'll take the 40. And it's like, but the 42 fits you better. Yeah. You know, we're all making things in different places. We've all got different, you know, there's no like universal measurement. If you took the same block to 20 different factories, you'll get 20 different jackets. Yeah. And also, if you're walking through the doors of a, of a brand's shop, you, you have in, you've walked in there and you, on, on implicitly that says you trust the brand. Yes. You've found something that you like. Yeah. So just trust that the guys in there who are absolutely fabulous authorities on the stuff yeah. like you are going to steer you in the right direction. I, Don't fight yeah, the experts. I, like, I honestly think the team that we have in Clifford Street are so amazing. Like, all, all the guys there at the moment are so good and so knowledgeable. And, you know, we, we know our stuff. You know, yeah. and, and especially with our own body types. You know, if a big guy comes in, I know the problems you've had. I've had them myself. You know, uh, the, you know the other guys in the store. You know, like like you know Dom and Lucas are kind of very athletic, but both very tall. You know, they know those problems as well. When people are coming in and being like, "Oh, I always find jackets too short." It, it's I, I don't think there's a perfect body size. Absolutely, no, no matter what. No way. You know, I'm actually kind of glad that I'm so big because if I just fit into like a 40 and I could buy everything, I would be in so much debt. <laughs> yeah. You know, that there'd be no room in my wardrobe. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, know, I, 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 I know that feeling. Oh, I can't say no to that. And yeah. now I can't pay the rent. Oh, yeah. there we go. Yeah. Um, uh, who needs rent when you've got a nice jacket? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I, I'm trying to try. I've been trying to justify that to my mother for about 26 years. But there you go. Um, one last question then to round off. Uh, what is your favourite Drake's piece this season? What have we all got to feverishly run in and buy tomorrow? That's a real tough one because this season is so so strong. Um, at the moment, this kind of changes every week. <laughs> this week it is without a doubt a uh, linen silk blend double breasted jacket, which is just absolutely beautiful nice that's my one of my favorite pieces at the <laughs> moment i'm also very fond of uh the solero ah uh, yes suits that we've done there's, there's a bunch of amazing amazing things this season and you wait till you see 
the coming autumn winter collection. Oh, I, I've, 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 fantastic. I went to the press preview and I yeah. cannot wait. It's unbelievably good. Like I'm so excited for uh, for that coming out. I've already put my order, personal orders in for several items. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Perks. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Marvelous. We'll, we'll work for clothes. We'll work. <laughs> <laughs> um, dreamy. Well, listen, Ben. Thanks so much for that conversation. Anytime. Anytime. I, I really, really enjoyed that. Thank you for your yeah. your candor and your honesty. It was delightful. Appreciate it. Um, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Catch up with you again soon. That's all from Handcut Radio this week. We'll be back next Wednesday as per usual. Between now and then, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Handcut Radio, or you can email me on alex at handcutradio.com. That's A-L-E-K-S for Alex. Uh, with any feedback you might have, we really want to hear from you and we really hope you enjoyed. So please do get involved in the conversation. If you like this episode, rate and review the podcast. This is a brand new project for all of us at Handcut Radio, and we need your help to spread word. The podcast is produced in collaboration with Birch, a London and New York-based creative agency. Check out their work at thinkbirch.com. Our theme music is by Joe Boyd. You can hear more from him at This Is Joe Boyd. Finally, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again soon.